Hello everyone and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast brought to you by EI Legal. My name is Simon Obie and I'm uh, the Principal Lawyer of EI Legal and I'm here with my two colleagues Ahana Lakia and Antonia Randalls and this is the first of a weekly podcast that we are going to um, be talking about all things employment law. This is aimed at HR professionals, in-house counsel and really anyone with an interest in employment law. And each week we're going to be talking about a different issue that might be a a case or a decision that's come out um, regarding employment law or a particular topic that we think is of relevance and is topical. So today what we thought we'd have a chat about is uh, redundancies. This is a a matter that we're advising a lot of clients on, obviously um, due to the current economic circumstances, a lot of businesses are considering um, redundancies, unfortunately. Um, So I, I guess when I think about redundancy and the law, I think there's sort of two, um, different kind of concepts to think about. The, the first is um, the need for employers to follow a redundancy process and really the purpose of doing that is to safeguard themselves against um, legal claims. A redundancy is, is, is a termination of, of employment and there are risks that obviously go go with that so there are processes that can be followed to reduce those risks and the second concept is um, uh, the entitlement of employees uh, or certain employees to a redundancy payment um, when their employment uh, ends due to redundancy so we'll have a chat about both of those things um, today so I guess in terms of um, potential legal claims that might arise um, when there's a redundancy. The two principal claims, or, 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 or the two or three principal claims, I guess, are, are a claim in unfair dismissal um, and a claim in um, general protections and also uh, claims under discrimination law. And really the process that employers need to follow to to do things safely is going to be impacted by um, uh, whether the employees in question have have rights to bring those claims. So some employees are are eligible to bring unfair dismissal claims and some aren't. You know, there there are um, requirements for employees to have a certain length of service depending on the size of of the organisation before they can bring uh, an unfair dismissal claim and also certain um, high income employees are um, excluded from bringing um, an unfair dismissal claim um, unless uh, they um, their employment is covered by a modern award or enterprise agreement. So that remedy isn't open to every employee, general protections and um, discrimination claims. Um, are available to all employees so, so 
that needs to be considered in all circumstances. So if we assume that we're, we're considering an employee who um, would have a potential right to bring an unfair dismissal claim, the Fair Work Act um, has a, uh, a exemption, I suppose. It, it has a, um, a provision at, at Section 389 which says an employee can't bring an unfair dismissal claim if their dismissal is as a result of a genuine redundancy. Um, and that genuine redundancy is defined um, to have basically three elements. The first is that um, the person's um, employer no longer requires the person's job to be performed by anyone um, else. Um, the second requirement is the employer must have complied with any obligation in a modern, or, modern award or enterprise agreement to have consulted with the employee about the redundancy. And thirdly, um, uh, the employee um, should have been uh, offered redeployment in um, the employer's business or, or an associated entity of the business if that would be um, reasonable. So if, if the employer can demonstrate those three requirements, the employee won't be able to bring an unfair dismissal claim, but there is also, um, for all employees, this added risk of a, a general protection or, or discrimination claim, which we'll, we'll talk about um, as well. So, so assuming um, we're, we're dealing with an employee or an employees who potentially have a right to um, uh, bring an unfair dismissal claim. The, the, first, the first element an employer would, would have to um, uh, meet um, would be that the employer's job is no longer required to be performed by anyone. Um, so what are the kind of issues that we've seen coming up with, with um, that particular requirement? Yeah, so Simon, what I tend to find um, pops up time and time again are really two scenarios. And the first of that scenario is the more simple one. And that is the case where a business simply no longer requires the duties or functions of a particular role in any way, shape or form. And in those cases, it's a lot easier to identify a redundancy. Um, the second is a little bit more complex and something maybe that we see a little bit more often, um, that's my experience, is, is where there is a restructure and or maybe even um, a, a outsourcing sort of um, scenario where there is a role um, and the employer has identified duties within that role that then need to be redistributed to other employees or potentially or potentially outsourced so i find with this second scenario when there is a restructure and those duties are being uh, redeployed it's helpful to not think about whether the duties still exist it's about whether the original position in its form um, still exists so if you have got to a point or when you are um, going through this sort of restructure process 
and there aren't any duties left for that particular position, you will have a reasonable argument that you have met that first requirement, um, that the job is no longer required. Yeah, so I, I suppose that, that would be a, a scenario, for example, where you've got one person performing a particular role and you know that there might be say three elements to that role and mm. the business decides in order to save costs they're going to distribute those three different duties to three other existing employees mm. then then there's nothing left for for that original employee to do and that would be a, a genuine redundancy yeah and i think it's helpful to think about because i think a lot of the time employers worry that because those duties still exist it can't be a redundancy yeah um so i think it's helpful to think about it in that way it's not necessarily the duties it's the position itself yeah. and just to add to that there's also another scenario that i've seen pop up recently due to COVID times where employers are just looking to downsize so cut the team in half so i had a client who had for example they had 10 sales staff and they wanted to cut down to five because they identified they don't need five people out on the road that's when it gets a little bit difficult because you have 10 people performing the exact same role and then you actually need to select which of those 10 um, you'll be making redundant and that's when it, i think i found employers struggle because yes you've um you know met that first element that the job is no longer required but then how do you actually select the mm. person and what we've been advising our clients is that you need to follow a consistent and fair process um, in order to minimize the risk of for example a general protections claim or a discrimination claim <clears throat> so you shouldn't be selecting someone for any discriminatory or unlawful reasons so say for example an employee works flexibly because they have family responsibilities and they're not in the office that much. Um, you shouldn't then select that person for redundancy because then you open yourself up to a discrimination claim. So what we recommend is that employers follow a selection criteria, um, which is basically objective criteria, which could involve things like um, the skills of the employee, their qualifications, um, their years of service, their job knowledge, and something else that you can actually take into consideration is the employee's performance, because you're not necessarily terminating that employee's employment because of the performance, it's just you have to select someone for redundancy. So say, for example, someone's achieving less sales than someone else, that may be a reason why you choose them um, for redundancy, amongst, obviously, mm. other objective criteria. It's basically a rating system mm. and you're not using that redundancy to circumvent the performance management process you're no. just using that performance as a criteria exactly. to assess which is which is two different things exactly and something else that's actually quite relevant um, which our clients have been relying on is the cost to the business of making certain people redundant so someone might have you know long-standing service you know large leave accruals it's going to be a lot more costly for the employer to get you know make that position redundant so that's again another objective criteria that employees are assessed against so we provide um, a redundancy matrix which um, you know outlines all these objective criteria which is quite helpful and it also you know in the event that a claim is made um, such as a general protections or discrimination claim it's helpful to have um, 
written records such as a matrix to show no it wasn't for any unlawful reason but we actually assessed everyone consistently and fairly um, and this is the reason why we chose them they were measured against fair criteria not for any mm. unlawful reason mm. yeah and, and I, I think um, to that point it's By, by following that process and having those objective um, um, criteria, that means that if, if, it, if it does end up, um, using your example from, from the start, that the person or persons that are selected for redundancy happen to be those that work flexibly or those that have a, a particular characteristic, which means they could bring a discrimination claim, um, age, you know, race, gender, wh whatever, um, if you view if you've used that objective criteria and it happens to be those those employees that are selected you're, you're, you're going to be able to kind of back up that decision mm -hmm. and something else that um, I have suggested in those scenarios when you do have a group of people um, that you are looking um, at this criteria to determine who you're going to make redundant or which position you're going to make redundant is potentially considering the possibility of a voluntary redundancy as mm. well because generally um, voluntary redundancy is considered termination by agreement and so that could um, help uh, mitigate that risk of an employee bringing a claim because that termination hasn't been at the employer's initiative there's been an agreement yeah yeah and I, I have found as well when you put that option to employees when you don't necessarily want to choose who to make redundant mm. uh, it's you know some of my clients have been quite surprised because people will you know say yep i'll take it because it might they might have been thinking of leaving anyway so it's it's a yeah, good exactly. it's a good option to put forward yeah. there could be somebody reaching you know retirement age potentially and we've advised there's risks there because of their age obviously but they are actually then the ones that choose to take up this voluntary redundancy because they're considering exiting the, the workforce anyway yeah yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. I think it's it, it is obviously something that you need to tread carefully with, particularly if if um, a voluntary redundancy is 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 only being offered to um, certain employees and not not others. But I, yeah, I do think it is something worth worth considering. So so to re I guess to recap, we would say kind of in a redundancy process the first first consideration is obviously work out um, you know that this is uh, a, a genuine redundancy in the sense that that the job is no longer required secondly and and the reason for doing that is is principally to safeguard against unfair dismissal claims secondly to avoid risks of general protections and discrimination claims you need to have a fair process for selection um, of of person or, or persons that are going to be um, made redundant. Um, the, the third um, thing to do, I guess, um, particularly if um, the employee has unfair dismissal rights, is this obligation um, to consult with um, the employee in accordance with consultation of obligations in in a modern award or enterprise agreement although I, I, I think we would say um, it, it's best practice in any event with, with any employee to to um, consult with them about the redundancy and 
what that involves, um, I guess, in, in essence, is, is although you may have kind of earmarked a, a, a role for redundancy, before a final decision is taken, an employee is given an opportunity to, um, to suggest any methods, um, any measures that might um, avoid the redundancy before that kind of final decision is taken and, and you, you would um, ordinarily do that in a kind of one-on-one -on -one meeting where the employee has been given you know some advanced warning that this is what is going to be discussed so that they can prepare for that. Um, what kind of things um, do we see come up with consultation? I mean I guess what employers, what I find and what I tell clients is that it's not just like a ticking the box process. You do need to engage in a genuine consultation process where you give the, op op the employee an opportunity to raise any suggestions to avoid the redundancy. And what I've seen come up, especially during, again, COVID times, is employees might actually um, suggest a reduction in hours, a reduction mm. in salary, and that might be something that's viable for the business if the employee's agreeing to it. Um, then I think the employer should consider that because it will avoid the redundancy. So those are the sorts of things that come up during the consultation process where you may actually find a way to avoid making the role redundant. So it is important to give the employee an opportunity and not have a predetermined decision to make the role redundant. Mm. And, and I think, um, you know, what, what we used to ad advise clients before uh, JobKeeper was, you know, a, an employee might, as part of that consultation process, say, well, what if I took a, a period of unpaid unpaid leave? Um, you know, the business might bounce back in a few months and then I might not need to be made redundant. But the the likelihood of, of employees suggesting that was, was quite low. With, with JobKeeper, of course, em, employees who are eligible for a JobKeeper payment are eligible for that whether they're working or whether they're on unpaid leave. So I, I think businesses might um, uh, well find that those are the kind of suggestions that are being made. Um, okay, so um, the, the next step, um, at least in respect of of the definition of genuine redundancy in the Fair Work Act is this um, obligation to um, redeploy or offer redeployment within the business or within any associated entities of the business um, if, if, if it's reasonable to do so. Um, I, I think it kind of makes sense to do that as part of the consultation process to um, you know, to, to raise with the employee um, any roles they could perform um, in that kind of redundancy consultation. It also gives an employee an opportunity to suggest any roles that, that they might think that, that they could possibly do. Um, yeah, have you guys got any, um, any thoughts on issues that arise with, with redeployment? I think just to add to your point about offering any roles during the consultation process, what I find um, is quite common, and this is what I advise clients, is if you do have a um, vacant position, you should 
provide the employee with a copy of the position description mm. um, because it will outline the duties and responsibilities of that role and then the employee can actually take that away and consider it. Um, so I think that's quite useful to provide the employee something in writing. And we were discussing this earlier, Antonia, but you were saying it's important not to assume that the employee mm. won't want to take on another role, even if it's got nothing to do with what they currently yeah. Uh, perform. Yeah, absolutely. And to, to you know, if, and, and often there isn't any redeployment opportunities. Um, but when there is, it, I think it is important to to put put that on the table. And you never know, the employee might be interested in something that you never thought they would be. And and that's great. There's there's then there can be an agreement reached there. And so I think it's important not to make any assumptions in that regard. Even if it's sort of lower pay yeah. or less status. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's right. Um, uh, and I guess a, a related point um, to that is, and this is kind of jumping ahead a bit, to talking about redundancy payments, but there's an ability um, under the Fair Work Act where someone has been offered um, an equivalent role um, but has has turned that down, that they can... Um, uh, lose their um, right to redundancy pay. Yeah, there's. I mean, we'll discuss the um, what redundancy pay uh, is available to employees, but there's actually an exception under the Fair Work Act where if the employer obtains other acceptable employment for the employee, then they can, and the employee then rejects that other acceptable employment. The employer has a has an argument. Um, that the redundancy pay shouldn't be payable and they can actually apply to the Fair Work Commission um, for the Commission to make an order that the redundancy pay is not payable or that it should be reduced. Um, The concept of other acceptable employment, it's a little bit, I guess, difficult, but in summary, basically it should be the same status, same pay, similar duties, um, similar level of responsibility. So if you do offer someone other acceptable employment, it, it is an exception in certain circumstances to avoid um, paying redundancy. Yeah, and, that, and that, that is the case whether the employee accepts it or, or declines it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so um, I think, yeah, just to kind of highlight what we were talking about earlier, um, you have two. You have employees that can claim unfair dismissal, um, and that is is the reason to make sure you're ticking all the boxes of genuine redundancy. You know that their job's no longer required. They've been consulted, and um, they've been offered redeployment if if that's um, reasonable. For employees who don't have that right to claim unfair dismissal, principally because they're high income earners um, we, we've kind of touched on this but but there is still the risk of a, an adverse action of general protections or discrimination claims so um, there is this still this need to um, uh, have a fair selection process for them um, but what 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 how, how would you how would the process be different for, for those those employees? I, I guess we'd say, you know, you, you still want to be sure that that you can justify that they're 
role is no longer required, otherwise they might be able to argue that, that, that this isn't a redundancy, it's for some other reason, perhaps a discriminatory reason. We'd, we'd still say um, uh, you need to consult with, with the employees for best practice and to you know, explain to them what, um, to kind of you know, help emphasize that this is a, uh, a real redundancy situation and to explore um, that with them. Um, I, I guess the, the principal difference is, is, is not having this obligation to consider redeployment. Mm. But you know, you you might want to consider that in, in any event. I guess depending on 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 the employee in question. Okay, so I guess just um, briefly, um, let's finish off just by talking about redundancy pay. There is a kind of sliding scale in the Fair Work Act of um, a redundancy pay that employees are entitled to based on their length of service um, but there are a couple of exceptions where um, the obligation to pay redundancy pay doesn't arise we, we spoke about the ability to apply to the Fair Work Commission um, to avoid redundancy pay where um, other acceptable employment has been um, um, found for the employee, what are some of the other exceptions? There's the most sort of common exception and the most obvious one is that small business employers um, don't have to pay redundancy, which is basically employers who have less than 15 employees, including in any associated entities, um, which is quite useful because um, it avoids having to pay um, a large chunk of money, I guess, for small businesses. Another um, but Get that, sorry to sorry. jump in, but that is, um, can be um, altered by a modern award, I guess. Yes, yes. So some, some modern awards, um, building and construction, for example, is the first one that comes to mind, ha have a different redundancy scheme which, which says even if you're a small business employer, you have to pay it. Yeah, Good and point. I think as well as taking into account any associated entities which is a big one and I find mm. some people sort of forget that that's also something that you need to include but also making sure that you're counting the the employee who is subject to redundancy and any other employees that are subject to redundancy at the time yeah. as Correct. well and of course any um, regular and systematic casuals yes. because um, employers tend to forget about those yes. but they're definitely included in the headcount so yeah thanks for pointing that out um, another widely sort of less understood um, exemption is where the ability for an employer to apply to the Fair Work Commission to ask for a reduction in redundancy pay even to zero is where the employer is um, facing significant financial strain and we've seen that come up recently again due to COVID times where employers obviously have had to make some tough decisions because they you know need to make those redundancies but they don't actually have the funds to pay out redundancies to employees and we've seen a couple of um, applications from the Fair Work Commission and one was successful where the Commission reduced um, the relevant workers' redundancy pay from seven weeks to one week because the employer was um, suffering from significant financial strain. So that's another exception under the Fair Work Act. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I think we've probably um, 
come to um, the time to wrap up this uh, podcast. But thank you um, for your uh, your your time with us today. And um, if you do have any questions or comments or things you'd like us to cover, or if you need any assistance, of course, of any employment law matter, you can reach us at info at eilegal.com.au and um, we have a, um, a blog um, that you can subscribe to um, at our website eilegal.com.au um, we also have produced a um, checklist for a redundancy process and, and also details of redundancy pay and the obligations there um, together with our friends at Employment Innovations so if you go to the Employment Innovations website, which is employmentinnovations.com. Um, go to the resources tab and you can download that um, checklist. So um, thank you again for your um, attention and um, we will speak to you next week. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Simon. Bye for now.